Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the, this is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Crew, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to episode 189 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bruins take a 2-1 series lead over the Panthers. They bounce back with a very solid 60-minute effort in Sunrise. They win 4-2. Uh, there was a ton of speculation um, Friday morning about what lineup the Bruins are going to ice with certain guys not making the trip, certain guys battling injury. It was an absolute blender of line combinations at morning skate. And then there were more surprises when Puck dropped because Lena Solmark ended up starting when the thought was Jeremy Swayman and... David Krejci's a last-minute scratch, so the Bruins win this game technically without their top two centers in the lineup, and they kind of got back to that lunch pail mentality, and we're able to take a take a series lead. Yeah, they're fucking with us. They're fucking with us because they in in the post game, Montgomery said he was pretty sure Krejci wasn't going to play. Yet went through all the the morning practice uh was on lines with people the lines were based off of him being in there but he i'm pretty sure they knew he was most likely not gonna play um Ulmerk, that's the question that i don't know um game time decision usually indicates an injury and i think last podcast we all agreed that he probably wasn't 100 um even though he was still good enough to go he maybe was at 90, 95%, not hundred percent. And I think that's where he was ahead of Friday's game as well. Um, but the gamesmanship continues and it's, it's like, we go, <laughs> we talk about the information we have and we do the best with the information that we have, but 
a lot of it has been smoke and mirrors in the playoffs. And, um, you know, Bergeron, the, the big news this morning um, from before the game was that Bergeron did not travel to Florida. He won't play three and four if you read between the lines and that there that he is, quote, likely for game five. Um, but I still I I still don't know if I believe that after all the stuff that we've heard. And I also want to say before we get into the game, because the Bergeron stuff happened before, um, I am more and more convinced that it is a head injury with him and the, the lack of travel. Um, you know, you're not supposed to travel with a concussion. Um, Montgomery saying it's something that Bergeron dealt with before after the Montreal game. Bergeron has dealt with several concussions before um, and, you know, saying he knows how to deal with it. And we all can recall that horrible hit to Bergeron that knocked him out. The, the biggest concussion of his career where he had to get taken off the ice. Um, And the more I think about it, the more I think that his upper body injury has to do with a head injury. Um, And, you know, the timeline kind of checks out too, because with a concussion, two weeks, you can come back usually. And also with the information that he wants to play, and I'm sure the team wants to get him back in there, but you have to get cleared in order to play after a concussion. So there's a, a lack of clearance that he's getting. It That's my speculation. That's not based off of um, hearing anything from anyone. But I think just the more things are said the more it makes sense that it's a head injury to me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you guys can uh, react to that if you want. And, and Scott, you brought this up last podcast, actually, that um, if he doesn't travel, maybe it's a back or head injury. And and I, I was saying, oh, why wouldn't he travel? Well, that was one of the main reasons why he wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, he's dealt with a lot of upper body injuries, so it could really be any of a number of things that is certainly one possibility we also know he's had you know he had elbow surgery a couple years ago you know that's another rumor that's popped up he's had a sports hernia before that would call you know depending like that would qualify as upper body so there's a bunch of different things he's you know had rib injuries like there's so many things that could be and we that's not really the main thing that indicated to me that it was you know like what it was like obviously he could have traveled if it was one of those other things. And he could have been there in the room, which would make sense if he wanted to be there in the room. And there's reporting after the game that he was texting Chris Kelly, what he thought should be changing and X's and O's and different things in between periods. So it would make sense that he traveled, even if he wasn't going to play, if he was okay to get on a flight, which you're not if you have a concussion. Yeah, I mean it's definitely possible. I don't, I don't really do speculation, and I don't I don't know anything. So um, it certainly as likely as anything else, I think. But um, you know, we're not going to know until until or unless someone tells us. Maybe Bergeron will say once he returns. But you know, no, sometimes guys no do. Gonna say that they're not going to say. I mean, I, what we all we know for sure is that. Montgomery said it's likely he'll be back for game five. I mean, n- none of us here know exactly what, what the issue is. So we'll just have to leave it at that for now. Cause we can just talk in circles about what it could be. Yeah. All we well, know. And, is we that- also, and we also know that Montgomery's prognosis have not always been accurate. So 
like Bridget said, you know, you kind of have to take everything with with a grain of salt at this point because he, you know, they've told us that oh, it's just precautionary, and then a guy's out a week plus, and you know, or it's more serious and guy returns quicker, and it's that's what you get, especially come playoffs, is no one divulges any actual information when it comes to injuries. So all we can really do is guess, but you know, at least they are still saying he's day to day and game five likely. So I I guess you can say like, it at least seems like it's not going to be a long-term thing. Um, And, you know, he'll probably probably be back at some point during this series, but uh, and then as far as Krejci, Montgomery said after the game that he's 50, 50 for game four, I I do think that it was it was pretty much a real game time decision because, you know, Montgomery said they had an idea that he might be out, but the initial roster on the the official NHL.com roster report had Krejci in and Felino out, and that's like 15 minutes before the game, and then it changed like literally five minutes before puck drops. So I think even if they knew that Krejci was truly questionable – um, I think the decision to actually sit him was like was pretty last minute. So, you know, see what happens there. But getting just getting to the game, like an incredible effort for the Bruins to step up and win without those two. You know, all year it's like those two returning and playing on their the salaries that they're playing on, and you know, still having really good seasons. It's like. Uh, that that's been such a huge part of why this team was so good all year. And now both of them are out and just awesome job by the whole team stepping up, you know, that they get out of that first period up one, nothing. And I didn't think they had a great first period. You know, I was kind of thinking like, all right, this is one you're just going to have to win ugly. Like just, just find a way who cares what it looks like. And instead they go out and they dominate the second period and get up to nothing that was their best period of the series and then add two more in the third to go up four. Like it's, it was a really impressive effort. I thought coil stepping in between Marsha and DeBrusk had another awesome game. He's been arguably their best player of the series. Uh, Zaka back between Bertuzzi and Pasenak. I thought that looks better. Uh, Pasenak gets a goal. Um, you know, just, Felino gets into the lineup last minute after looking like a healthy scratch and he scores and plays on a line with Frederick and Hall that, that looked pretty good. Like it, it was just, just up and down guys, just stepping up Dmitry Orlov with two great assists, Grizzlick with some good plays breaking out, like just, just an all around impressive effort. Yeah. And I thought that uh, one individual set the tone right off the bat and that was Charlie McAvoy and, you know, we talked about how after game two, it wasn't it wasn't his greatest greatest effort, and he he would be the first to admit it. And then uh, literally off the opening faceoff, he stepped up. I think it was on um, Lundell, but it was just a it, or maybe uh, maybe it was one of those Finnish guys, but uh, just a, a great hit to to uh, to start the game. And that was that was a microcosm of uh, the the fifty nine minutes to and to to unfold for him. He was an absolute. Um, you know, force out there tonight. He was hitting everything in sight, playing very physical and just really set the tone off the bat. So um, when that's, when that happens in the first 10 seconds of the game, you could just tell that the Bruins were 
very, very ready um, to kind of silence a lot of the the critics over the last 24 hours. I mean, they, they lose their first playoff game, 1-1 one, one series, and I mean, all the headlines out there and about the president's trophy curse and the Bruins choking. It's like, what are, we, what are we talking about here? None of us here thought they played well in game two, obviously, and they weren't great in game one. But it was just – there was a lot of hysteria over the first loss. And, and like I said, lunch pill mentality. They, they played a lot without Bergeron and Krejci down the stretch. So this group was kind of used to – to those guys not necessarily being there in recent weeks. And I think that was probably a reason why they weren't so panicky, but um, yeah, the future of those two guys in the lineup is uneasy right now, but a uh, huge win for them to at least at the very least now leave Florida very least two, two there's no, there's going to be no threat of going down three to one. No, just they alleviated a lot of potential headaches by getting this win right out of the, uh, out of the way. Yeah, and I would say that the quote-unquote hysteria that was going on this morning, Friday morning, was, and among us and maybe among other people that follow the team really closely, didn't have to do necessarily with thinking they were going to go down in the series for sure or that Florida had a, like, a specific advantage with Bergeron out. It had to do with all of the question marks, and that is why it's been – like, I think that's why probably the Bruins are the most interesting team in town right now. Um, Celtics lost today, by the way. So their series is they're not sweeping. Uh, it's two to one with Atlanta. But um, the Bruins were the more interesting game of the three games. It's the Celtics played, the Red Sox played because there were so many question marks. And there was turned out to be another one that we didn't even know was coming with Krejci. So it was who's going to play in net? Who? What are the lines going to look like? Um, is it? Montgomery doing too much is he changing the lines too much you know um how's the back end gonna respond what's the defense gonna look like like it was just there was so many question marks ahead of the game that is what the the panic I guess you could say was about and I don't think it was necessarily that people thought they were gonna lose but when you look at the lines the way that they came out in in warm-ups or or morning skate I should say some of these lines are lines that they have never had before. So uh, it's kind of warranted to question and to talk about and to have that be a, a topic of conversation with all the different things that, you know, it's not their optimal lineup. That's just a fact. Um, they put it out there and that line with coil, that, that top line with coil in the middle worked. And that's because Charlie coil, like a few of his teammates said played like a beast. And, um, he has had a very solid series and I will say Taylor Hall had another good game as well. So uh, the question marks remain uh, after, after the game um, because we still don't really know the answer to what Krejci's upper body injury is. Um, even though I just speculated about what Bergeron's could be, we don't really know. Um, and why was all a game time decision? So <laughs> we still have all this intrigue going into it. Um, and I know I really just kind of avoided talking about the actual game. So I'll get into that real quick at the risk of talking for too long. Um, first period, I thought they got outplayed pretty bad. And I was sitting in my chair going, they're going to lose this game in the first period. Even though they they scored first, um, they had the lead. I did not think that they had a really good first period. Second period, they outshot Florida 12 to 4. Um, and was a much better period. Like Scott mentioned, maybe their best of 
the series. Um, I think I saw someone tweet the, the best of the season. I wouldn't go that far. Um, but they looked better there. And then they were able to close it out, even though they gave up two late goals. Uh, they had a 4 nothing lead, and it kind of looked like Allmark was going to get that shutout, uh, which goes away. But And I don't think I'm crazy for saying this. Four to two was probably a better way to end the game because four to nothing, you're looking at another bloodbath. <laughs> like at the end of game two, where the score is out of reach and, and teams know it's out of reach with a few minutes left in the game, it just becomes brawls and apparently chokeouts and <laughs> what have you. And they have to call the game. Like, I'm glad it was a two goal game with a few minutes left rather than a four goal game in terms of health, because sometimes that's when guys run at each other, take cheap shots, whatever. Yeah. And, and you still saw a little of that, little of that before the Panthers did finally score where, you know, McAvoy throws a clean hit and Barkov just straight up tackles them. And then Montour takes a 10 minute misconduct. Like that. So it, it was kind of starting and then, yeah, cool, cool down and uh, you know, n- no one gets, Hurt or kicked out or any suspension. What, what is going on with the choking? What's going on with the choking? Can't we get the, the punching was always acceptable, but now all of a sudden we're choking each other. Like Frederick is getting choked by Lomberg in game two, and now Barkov comes over, <laughs> tries to choke someone. And I'm just so confused. When did choking become part of what goes on after the whistle? Like we're trying to choke people out now. And that's one of the things well, that maybe they should start reviewing that for, you know, you know, supplementary discipline, because that's crazy that, you know, that's dangerous. Well, so, someone had to be a pioneer. No one did licking before Marshand either. So, you know, but luckily it's going to start, start with someone. I, I don't know. They got to get that under control because we're used to face washes and punching and, and whatever after the whistle. But can we stop choking each other out? Let's stop doing that. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus uh, well, you know, one thing uh, that we can probably keep hoping for is for Taylor Hall to keep producing the way he is. I, I don't want to overlook the, the the goal that he scored early on in the first period. I mean, there was there was every reason in the world for Florida to to keep the momentum going from game two, considering the the injuries the Bruins have and and just kind of how fragile they may have appeared going into this game. And clearly, they they weren't that. That was just perception going into this game because they came out rock solid, but for Taylor Hall to get that goal early on, uh, it just felt like it was just really, really important for this team and for him. And, and I, what I love about it is just, I just thought that they were way too, way too cute, way too finesse. They just weren't 
they weren't simplifying their game. I felt like in Boston, at least not consistently enough. And, and oftentimes you see guys looking for the perfect shot, the perfect, you know, scoring chance. And that was not the perfect scoring chance for Taylor Hall. He just, he threw the puck at the net with a little bit, a little bit of a screen by the defenseman, but found, found a way in. And so just your opinions on, on him kind of kickstarting the team, at least offensively tonight. Yeah. And I, I loved that the way that goal started and I think basically all their goals started with forwards helping out in the D zone, that shift it's Hall and Frederick at one point were both below the goal line in the D zone, helping out. They get the puck out, transition the other way or love with the pass up to Hall. And like you said, you know, a little bit of screen using the defenseman, probably a shot line should have stopped, but you know, it, it's a good shot. It's a good chance to take. Um, but, you know, their their third and fourth goals started the same way. The Pasenak breakaway starts with Bertuzzi deep in the offensive zone in the corner, uh, getting a puck, kind of shielding from traffic and, and moving it up to, I think it was Orlov again, who then makes the great pass to Pasenak. And then uh, the fourth goal from Felino that starts with him below his own goal line, helping out. He helps, I think it was Orlov. He helps him win a battle below the net. Gets up to DeBrusque. He gets up to Hall, and then it's back to Felino for the finish. Like, that commitment in the defensive zone to kill possessions and get the breakout going, didn't see enough of that in the first two games. Like, that's, you know, when we were talking about pro- like problems for, for them, it was they are spending too much time in their own zone. They weren't winning pucks back. Their breakouts and transition games just like wasn't there. And I thought you, you saw them doing that work um, in game three and they got rewarded with several goals coming directly from that work. Yeah, no, Taylor Hall was hunting pucks. He was picking off passes. He was using his speed to his advantage. He set up that Felino goal perfectly. Um, And, uh, you know, you kind of have to be happy for Felino the way that he was able to play in this game, knowing that he, you know, for most of the day, probably thinking he wasn't going to play and coming and being a veteran and scoring that, but on the hall goal. Yeah. That's a goal Lions should have had. Um, and now we see that it kind of seems like they're going to make a change in net uh, for game four. I feel like lion is out. Uh, they made the change partway. It was in the third period um to switch goalies uh back to Bobrovsky so um in a way the Bruins chased him in another way you know he just he didn't perform to playoff standards and you see the advantage once again the way he did in game one that the Bruins have in net um and I think there was a quote that during the game maybe it was Brick or Jack said which was um when the Bruins beat Bobrovsky when he played for Columbus back in 2019. Uh, Tortorella said, it's simple. They had better goaltending. <laughs> and it kind of feels like that's where the Bruins are at in this series as well. So uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about Taylor Hall. And I'll get, I'll, so I'll switch back to this, the line now. Frederick ends up centering this line um, with Hall and Felino on his sides. And Frederick has come such a long way because there's been, 
uh, preseasons that we weren't even sure if he was on the depth chart, proving himself to be high enough to make the team. And now here he is moving from wing to center and making an impact and being a guy in the playoffs that you want to have on your team because he can fight guys. He can be physical. He can win battles in the corners and he can, you know, he can be versatile as well. So uh, credit to Frederick on that line as well. And the one line that I guess we kind of probably thought would be together was Bertuzzi with Zaka and Pasternak. That was the only line that really made sense to go to after we did. We th- there was a, that failed experiment with Krejci, and it turns out Krejci wasn't able to play anyway. So, what? How did you guys think that line played? The second line, the the second line, even though really I feel like that's your first line with Bertuzzi, Zaka, and um, Pasta. Well, better than they did with Krejci in that in that spot. Uh, that's I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Um, I thought that. Obviously, the the pass that goal in the third period is going to go a long way for his confidence. Obviously, he had the uh, he had the goal early on in game one in the power play, but he was pretty quiet after that uh, for the rest of game one and game two. So, I mean, I think that they've been they were really solid at the end of the regular season. I think they were they were pretty good tonight as well. I feel like uh, the 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 point on Trent Frederick. Had Krejci played tonight, I think it's pretty amazing that he would have been on a line with Brad Marchand, which obviously is because of certain circumstances, but nobody ever would have would have considered that a possibility. And I think it's a testament to to his play this year uh, overall that, okay, hearing that he's on a line with Brad Marchand wasn't the craziest thing in the world. Like he's earned that respect from from fans and, and from from the Bruins themselves. And speaking of Marchand, I th- we've talked a lot about him heading into the postseason about how he was in a, I mean, Bridget, you wrote about it, what it was like a 14, 15, 16 game goal, goal slump and whatnot. And he's, uh, he's been, he's had his handprints on every single game so far in the series, including the one that they lost where he, but he still scored the shorthanded goal. So two goals in the first two games and obviously directed the puck towards net for Coyle to tip that second goal tonight. So uh, Brad Marshan has been looking a lot more like himself, which is important too. Uh, Scott, the, Bertuzzi, Zaka, and, and Pashnak line at Bridget talked about. I'm not sure if you had any additional comments on them. Yeah, just that they were they were able to get into the offensive zone and, and create chances. Like the those guys being creative and being able to make plays offensively was never a question. The problem in the first two games was they were just getting buried in their own zone. They weren't able to get out. They weren't able to get going in transition. They weren't able to set up offensively. Um they, Today they were, and I think Zaka helps. Like maybe it's you know because Krejci is battling something; he's not himself. I, you know, who knows how much that's affected his play? But that line just was not winning possession. Um, I thought they did a better job of that tonight. And Pasternak ends up with seven shots on goal and thirteen shot attempts. And you, you know, wasn't you saw, it just one shot in game two, Scott? Uh, I know it was one five and five shot. It might have been two total, but um. But yeah, I mean, you, you saw Bertuzzi set him up for a couple chances. Pasternak, you know, could have easily had two or three goals this game. He, he gets the one, which Brian, I agree with you. Like that, you know, is probably a confidence booster to to see one go in. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought that line played pretty well and, and got better as the game went on. You know, I didn't think anyone was really great 
in the first period, as we already touched on. But um, as the game went on, that line, you know, I thought was was making an impact. I think they fixed what they needed in terms of the two parts that were together, Bertuzzi and Pasternak. They fixed what they needed to fix from game two, which were the turnovers. Um, there were some careless turnovers, especially in transition, and we covered it and not getting back on defense. And they that wasn't present in their game. The Bruins in general cleaned up in that area, which they hadn't looked like that the whole season. So um, to take that out of the game, luckily seemed to be pretty easy um, in game three. They, they did not do that uh, as much. And I think both Bertuzzi and Pasnak looked better in game three. Zaka has been good wherever you put him. So it almost feels like, and I, I wrote my article about Zaka um, after game one. And I, I didn't say this, but I, I mean, it was like, I alluded to it a little bit that Zaka is like, the closest thing to Bergeron and that he's, he's almost like having a second Bergeron. So like you put him in where Bergeron would be and he does well, you put him in on, on the, in the center with Pasnak, he does well. And he's, he's just such a good replacement at center. Now the problem with game three, even though you win is you needed to replace two centers. (laughs) So that's when Frederick comes in and him being versatile as well helps you out. Um, if you think about a few weeks ago, did we think Zaka was going to be centering any of the lines or Frederick was going to be centering any of the lines? No. (laughs) Um, and that's where you see, it's not just depth, it's versatility. Well, and to to that point, I think long-term, this is a good opportunity to, to kind of discuss like the concern level. I think that people should have regarding the health of Bergeron and Krejci, because don't forget Krejci missed how many of the last 15 games of the year because of injury. Yeah. He, he missed the last six consecutively consecutively. Okay. So we missed the last soreness. six and... soreness. Okay. It was, but I'm, I'm for people who are just listening to the audio, I'm doing that in air quotes because that's what was told to us, but clearly it wasn't just soreness. Well, it, and by but, the way, at a certain point, soreness is due to an injury. So I guess they can both. Yeah, I, I mean, Montgomery did also say lingering injury at one point. And there was one game in there where Montgomery specified that it wasn't rest, that he actually couldn't play. So like a couple times he gave us a little bit. I think the final few games, he definitely tried to make it sound like it was just lingering soreness and we're just resting him up. But which, yeah, I mean, yeah. But I mean, certainly, but, it certainly seems like he was dealing with something and, you know, we don't know for sure that this is the same injury or issue or whatever, but it obviously would make sense. That would, that would add up. Well, but and even I, if, it, even if it isn't though, if it's something totally different, it, it's just, it's just more shit that he's dealing with. So I think, I think for him to come back for two games and either the same thing's bothering him or something different, there's, there's level for concern there. I know everybody's talking about Bergeron, but the two of them, if you don't have those guys, I know the team got to the to where they are this year in in the the top of the standings, but I mean, this team can't this team can't win a cup without having certainly both of them out, but let alone you know one. So this is big picture. Their health is a is a big concern for me. And not only not only big picture, but I had been telling people because people in conversation want to talk about, and this is this is long term. This isn't about this series. 
they want to they want to ask do you think Bergeron and Krejci are going to play one more year or are they not and if you're having both of these guys at the end of the season not holding up and say Bergeron's is a concussion or is something that he's been dealing with his whole like for for uh, the last part of his career i feel like if they both don't come back or they both have this like 50-50 like kind of healthy kind of not playoffs it kind of tells you what you need to know about whether or not they're going to come back next season. And if they had, say, not suffered these injuries towards the end of the season, felt good going through the playoffs, everything went hunky-dory exactly how they thought, we're talking about, oh, you know what, maybe they'll come back next year. But as of right now, I feel like there's signs that this might really truly be the last time we see them play. So I I hate to say that, and I wasn't saying this this last week. I was telling people they're having so much fun. Why not come back another year? They're they're you know Bergeron still can play at an NHL level. Krejci can still play at an NHL level. But this this last few days, I've seen something different, which is that they are showing signs of fatigue, and it's it is a long season, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're watching them for the last time. And so it's, it's kind of crazy because if you're a Bruins fan and you're watching them in the playoffs right now, just kind of take it in because you don't know um, whether or not they are going to play again. Just like when Gronk and Brady played in their last um, playoffs with the Patriots, um, you kind of have to just take it in. Yeah. I mean, I think especially if they end up winning it all, it's like, everything has gone so right. And this has been such a deep team that, you know, battling stuff. It's like, it would be so hard to replicate that again, that I could definitely see them just going out on top and, you know, being like, this was, this was the perfect ending. Like there is nothing better than that. So um, if they lose, I mean, yeah, it, it absolutely comes down to like their health and how they, feel you know after a few weeks off after the season but like there's also going to be that tug of like we're so close it was you know so good um you know could could we do it again like yeah they're gonna lose some pieces but is there something there where they could come back again on cheap deals so i don't know you know we'll we'll see obviously we'll be talking about that a lot more um as far as you know the Short, short term, the here and now, like, yeah, I definitely think you need at least one of them. And I, you know, not that you really want to like pick, but I certainly think Bergeron's more important. Um, You know, I I just like, I do still think they can, they could win the cup if like Bergeron's back, Krejci's not, or his lingers and he's in and out because of how good Zaka has been in the middle. Um, I mean, just using like this series, like Zach has been better than Krejci. And that's not to say that Krejci can't help or wouldn't be an asset if he, you know, comes back and is relatively healthy. Like obviously he, you know, he had a pretty good season. So, you know, like there's obviously still a good player there. Um, But at whatever percentage he was playing the first two games, that Krejci wasn't very effective. Like they would need, they would need a better version of Krejci than that. Um, you know, in Bergeron, it's, 
in some way, like this sounds awful because like head injuries are the worst and can do the longest lasting damage. But in some ways, like that would in this situation would almost be, you know, like a best case scenario if he were to get cleared of that. Like if that's what he's dealing with and he gets cleared of that in the next couple of days and does return for game five, because then at least in theory, you know, obviously he could get hit again and it could come up like that wouldn't linger. He would be able to come back and play the way he's been playing. Whereas if it's something else, if it's the back or a sports hernia or ribs or whatever, like that can linger and, and not fully heal. So then you do get into the concerns about, okay, what percentage is he? How effective is he Do do his minutes need to be limited? Like all that stuff. So uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Like getting up to one is huge. It buys you a little wiggle room. You're not, you know, facing desperation elimination in the next couple days at least. But yeah, at, at some point though, like you, you need those guys or you need at least one of them. Um, and that they might need it to win this series, depending on how the next couple games go. They're certainly going to need it moving forward as the competition gets tougher. Yeah, I mean, I don't care how good your depth is. You lose your top two centers. And I know, I know Zaka, his ceiling right now is, you wouldn't really, to your point, you wouldn't really miss crazy all too much. But, but as, as for Bergeron, like he, he, you can have all the depth in the world. You got, you, you need to have your top two centers. You just have to have it. So uh, that's imperative. If they don't, <laughs> they're just not going to get to where they want to go. So hopefully those, those two can, can find their way back into the lineup. It's obviously frustrating. I think for everybody that the two guys, you kind of were crossing your fingers for the most to stay healthy this year do until, you know, the end of March into April. And, and that's unfortunate, but regardless. um... Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. One guy I wanted to bring up too quickly found his way into the lineup tonight based on morning skate lines with Krejci in those lines. Nick Felina was was going to be the odd man out. Then again, do we know that for sure? Not necessarily, but at least as, as far as the morning uh, skate lines were. And obviously Krejci didn't, didn't dress, so Felino did end up playing and was able to get a, again, a big goal in the third period to make it, I want to say four, nothing on a, yeah. a great pass from Taylor Hall and Felino who worked his way back into the lineup after injury. Is that a, is that, that's first of all, it it's, it is a good sign that he scored, but just how did you guys feel like he played played tonight in addition to his goal, which I'm sure will go a long way for him too. Probably pissed off. He probably played pretty pissed off. Sometimes that's when, and I'm not going to lie, in my jobs before, I think I've said this on the podcast before, in my job before when, and I'm not talking about a WEI, but sometimes when I'm doing play-by-play, different employers, if they say something mean to me the game before, I do so much better the next game. And sometimes it's like, I'll show you. like, <laughs> And I feel like maybe that's what happened with Felino. It's it's like, I'm pissed off. Um this is why you should keep me in the lineup. This is what I can do. And not only did he find himself in the lineup, he found himself on the third line, um, not the fourth line, which he had played on earlier. 
um, he found himself in a pretty good situation on that line with Hall and Frederick. So he was set up for success and he also came in with the right attitude. Um, I thought he, I thought he played well. I thought that line as a whole played really well. The, the fourth line didn't get a lot of time. Um, it had Lauko on it. He factors into the lineup in the playoffs for the first time uh, with no sick and Hathaway. They called up Steen and they had, they had a full extra line of guys that could have gone. Um, uh, but I did think he proved himself and not that nobody had a good game, like pretty much nobody besides Marshawn, if, if we're being serious, like had a good game in game two. So pretty much every Bruins player looked better in game three and Felino was no exception to that. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I don't know if this is what Montgomery was doing, but I, I was thinking of like, okay, so they knew there was a chance Krejci was going to be out. So that means you, you basically have to have someone on standby, you know, someone that you tell, Hey, go through today, prepare as if you're going to play. You might not, but like, here's a situation like, 50-50 chance you're in. I do feel like Felino's probably better equipped to handle that than, you know, if you tell Lauko that. And, like, not only, you know, has is he not used to that situation, but to kind of go through a day like that with uncertainty for your first playoff game, like, it probably actually worked out better to tell Lauko in the morning, hey, you're in, you know, congrats, you're making your playoff debut, and have Felino be the one who has to, deal with a little bit of uncertainty because he's been around the block. He's more mature and, you know, he's probably going to be able to respond and, and be able to hop in and get into that mindset if the calls made at the last second. So uh, yeah, he, he handled it well and had a good game. Um, I agree with you like that, that line with him, Frederick and Hall did play pretty well. And that was, you know, really thrown together at the last minute. Like I don't, I don't think they've played together at all this season. I know, you know, Hall and Felino have been together as wings with Coyle in the middle. And obviously, you know, Frederick has played with both guys, but three together was definitely new. And yeah, with Frederick as the center, that's the first They brought good energy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, definitely, definitely a good game for Felino, though. And he's, you know, look, obviously, like their hopes and dreams don't live and die with Nick Felino, but he is important. Like if he can get back to playing the way that he was this season. And I thought, you know, the first two games, you sort of set some up and down where like game one, there was some, some plays where he looked okay. And other, you know, shifts, he was quiet. Game two was mostly quiet. I think he, he led like one good rush. And now I thought game three, you saw like a step back towards, you know, him getting on track and like really getting up to speed. And if he can do that, like that does make a difference just because of the way he plays and what he brings to the table and being a team leader. Like I'm sure that wasn't easy for Montgomery to potentially uh, be sitting him. Like I, I would have understood it because, you know, the Bruins have needed more speed and, and Lauko brings that. Like I, I get that, but when you're already down Bergeron, you know, to potentially take another veteran leader off the bench, like, there's definitely some risk there. So I think having Felino get to a point where you can comfortably keep him in the lineup game to game is good. And I think, I think he probably did that Friday night. Like if, you know, say Krejci is able to play Sunday, 
I think it's pretty clear that Felina would stay in and Loco would be the one who came out. You know, Loco played just over six minutes, um, lowest on the team, had a pretty tough turnover in his own zone early in the game and actually went a little while without getting on the ice after that. Um, so, you know, I still like Loco's game. Like, I still think there will probably come another game this postseason where he's in and, and he makes a positive impact. But, um, you know, you definitely saw Felino sort of show more maturity and make more of an impact tonight. Last thing for me I want commentary from you guys on is just the the performance from Linus Allmark. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, he was scheduled to at the you know, least be a game time decision. He clearly he 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 did play and he was about what four and a half minutes shy, maybe five minutes shy of a shutout. Obviously the game ends four to two and I think he had twenty nine saves, thirty one shots, but just your your guys' uh opinion on how he played. Clearly he played pretty well. Yeah, for sure. He he looked he looked really good and that was you know, that was another interesting call and, and a tough one. Like it, obviously he's dealing with if he's a game time decision, whether it is a lingering injury, um, you know, Montgomery said he doesn't think it's related to last Tuesday when he left that game in Washington, but do okay, we so believe another... him? Do, do we believe yeah. that? No. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw him move slow that one play in game two where he was a little slow getting up. Mm-hmm. So is it another injury? Is it that one? Is, is he the latest to get sick? Is that bug still going through the room? Like who knows, but, uh, you know, kind of thought like, Hey, if Omar's dealing with anything, then just go to Swayman. Like Swayman has been so good. Uh, I'm assuming Swayman is, you know, a hundred percent or close to it because he's, he's been on the ice for every practice since, you know, Sunday he missed because of illness. He's been on the ice for all of them since like, I, I don't think he has anything lingering, but um, obviously they, you know, they saw enough from Allmark to go back to him. So, and, and it worked out because he played really well. Yeah. I, and I think the plan was always to go back to Allmark um, and that they just weren't sure they were going to be able to. So game time decision means you knew that was the guy you wanted to play. It wasn't a question of, you know, oh, we're going to switch to Swayman. It was, they wanted it to be Allmark, but was he healthy enough? And and at the end of the day, I think all market 90 or 95% is still better than most of the goalies in the league this year. So um, he probably says, hey, I think I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. And I feel like maybe this was his decision. And he and he was saying, oh, it was Tuka's back. If, if we well, look back a little bit of time where he said, I was just going to say, I, I actually hope it wasn't Allmark's decision. I hope like they learned Allmark. their lesson with Tuka because they yeah, they, they let Tuka dictate it and they stuck with them too mm-hmm. long. So I, I hope they're not still doing that. Like you've, you've got to have a little bit more of a critical eye. And, you know, it, it worked tonight. But like if Allmark is dealing with something or something pops back up and he's off his game. Like you got to be willing to pull that trigger and make that switch. And that, that can't be an L mark decision because he's not going to pull the plug on himself. No one is. At the end of the day though, you like, you want to trust that he knows his body well enough to give you an honest answer with that. Right. 
because nobody He's knows. Not what going you're... to players are no players going to give you an honest answer. They, they, they just that. they just are not wired that way. Not in the playoffs. I I want to give people the benefit of the doubt because I know I get Don't. mad at my doctors. I get mad at my doctors when they tell me something and I'm like, listen, you don't know me that I know what my body's usually like. And I feel like I feel myself or I don't feel myself. So, and this is the reason why I think it's different with Allmark and Swayman versus Tuca and Swayman is that Allmark knows the stakes and also that the next guy in line is just as good. So it's not like a gamble to put the next guy in. And it's not like they have a bad relationship or there's like this thought that, okay, this is a step down. There's not that. So I think they maybe trust him to be a little bit more honest with it because of just the pure different situation with the goalies and and how they've performed this year. That is just my opinion on it. Um, I I think neither of them are a hundred percent. I said that last episode, I think, for Swayman, maybe it's the illness for Olmark lingering injury from Washington or whatever they're going to say. I don't necessarily believe. So um, I think maybe they're both 90% or they're both 95%. And at that point you decide on which goalie that's at 95% you want to play. And it was Olmark today. Yeah. I mean, I, I think obviously Olmark is not a hundred percent because if you're hundred percent, you're not a game time decision, right? Objectively speaking. So that's apparent. And I do believe the Bruins would have played, played a hundred percent Swayman over a non hundred percent all mark. But to that last point you made Bridget, I, I feel like there's probably something that is with Swayman too. And so maybe to your point, they're probably both a little bit less than hundred percent. And if that's the case, and like you said, go, go with who you want. Cause I do believe the Bruins would go with Swayman if he was hundred percent over a non hundred percent, Allmark, you made the comment about Allmark at a 90%, 95% is better than most goalies in the league. That's not the question. The question is, is Allmark at 90, 95% better than Swayman at 100%? Uh, and probably, honestly, probably not. They're pretty close. So I think there's probably, like you said, there's probably something ailing both of them. But in any event, it worked out tonight. Uh, and I guess we'll see how it unfolds going forward. I, I would imagine Allmark is in game four. But maybe not. Maybe they'll start using Scott's rotation idea to kind of keep them a little bit fresher which Mm -hmm. that might be possible too. Yeah. And also the, the turnaround from a Friday night to Sunday afternoon, a a little shorter than normal. Not that that's like anything crazy. It's not a back to back or anything, but you know, it's something to keep in mind. You're talking about, you know, Allmark hadn't started three straight games since December. I don't know the last time he started four straight. It might've been even before that. So, um, you know, like, all, all kinds of stuff to factor in, but obviously Elmark played played great in game three. So performance wise, no reason to bench him. It's just, you know, is what's his recovery like with whatever mm-hmm. he's dealing with? You know, can he the turnaround to Sunday afternoon? Is he going to be fine? Is, you know, does he need a little more time to recover? Like all that. So, yeah, should be interesting. Yeah, because usually in the playoffs, you're not talking about resting your goalie right? You're talking about going with your number one guy. But in this situation, you're thinking, first of all, if if Swayman's is illness, that should get better automatically as we get further and further into the series. Like that recovery, there's at least a finite time. You're like, okay, each day this is getting better. 
we know he's going to put weight back on or he's going to feel less dehydrated or when you're coming back from it from an illness so theoretically Allmark could or Swayman could be quicker to 100 percent and Allmark could need a little bit of rest and um the Bruins have the luxury of resting their number one goalie in the playoffs so um they could do it at some point uh there was so I I'm very tired and I'm surprised my crankiness did not come out in this podcast however there were a few other things I wanted to talk about (laughs) I feel like I feel like your your tiredness and crankiness just led to like a burst of energy right out of the gate like yeah you were just like (laughs) I overcame it stop I did. I feel you're right. Cause I just started like, just like focusing. Um, but there were a few other things and I'm going to crash immediately after this. Um, there was a few other things. Uh, Grizzly coming back into the lineup playing with McAvoy. Um, do we feel like the changes on defense uh, made a big difference or do we maybe just feel like the defenseman tightening up their, their game, their clears, their, transition was the bigger deal here scott's lag scott you want to take that yeah sure i I would say both like yes other guys everyone kind of cleaned it up but grizzly going in also helped like you you side on the transition up to coil on uh on that goal um you know i think you saw him a couple other clean breakouts and like that's that's exactly what they needed that's exactly what he brings and then yeah everyone else there McAvoy as we already said is great I thought Lindholm you know was maybe still not great but better than you know a little bit better than he had been Orlov I thought had a really strong game so uh both the personnel changes and guys just playing better helped yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, Grizzly helped out. I wouldn't. I mean, I think he could have gone in for for Forbert instead of Clifton, and I think you you would have seen the same effectiveness. And I think as a unit, they were they were ready to play. So I think it was not. It's not because Clifton wasn't playing that the D looked better. I think it was because Grizzly was in there for somebody. Can I address something that I that I heard on the radio today though? The, and this and just to say that this is stupid. Um, an unnamed person, <laughs> I will not say who, said, if you're going to bring Grizzly in, why are you putting him on your first pair? And I just like wanted to smack my head against the wall because Grizzly McAvoy has been a good pair the entire year. You're not bringing Grizzly in and putting him with Forbert or, or like you're not putting him with Forbert or Clifton. You're not, if that's the guy you're bringing in and Clifton's coming out, where are you putting him? You're putting him with McAvoy. So, Anybody who is think was thinking, oh, you know, he's going from seventh man to first pair, like that's cr-. no, that's just where he's played, guys. Like I don't know this person. <laughs> were you watching the season? Like that is where he plays. So, uh, well, maybe my crankiness is coming on. <laughs> what was the uh, what was the second thing you wanted to you wanted to bring up after Grizzly? You had a few things a minute ago. Well, also first, just on that point, like. One of the things that bothers me is like how hung up people get on how lines are listed or pairings. And it's like, yeah, no, like, like the top guys are still going to play the most minutes, no matter, like, you know, people are making a big deal of like, oh, I don't know, but like, like, cause like I heard people on radio today saying too, after the morning skate, like, you know, 
like uh, Trent Frederick on the first line with Marsha and Coyle, and it's like, who cares how they're actually listed? Like that Trent Frederick isn't going to suddenly be playing twenty minutes because he's listed on the first line. Like you know it, the. The, the minutes still end up being what they are and your top guys get them and like, you know, how, how you line up five on five doesn't, I don't know. P- people, uh, people over. Here's the sentence, right? Sports talk radio. You don't have to be right. You just have to say something that gets people interested. And so uh, that's where we work, but sometimes it drives me crazy. Because you don't have to know anything to base what you're saying off of. And no, like people will call in to yell at you, but that's fine because those are still people that are listening. So I don't know. It's opposite of what Scott and I do because, and Brian, but well, thank you for of, mentioning me there. <laughs> in terms I appreciate of, that. In terms of like journalism, like writing, we're not writing inflammatory things, or at least we're not trying to. You might think that we suck, but at least we're not trying to and and there was an angry text on the twitch chat today that said we don't listen to scott anymore because he predicted a sweep so, <laughs> so they're mad at scott <laughs> well they don't know what they're talking about scott yeah you know scott was just well, real confident yeah, that day. <laughs> i saw that yeah that that person can call into some skate and rip me that that's that's fine yeah they might um so what was that final thing you want to talk about bridget i don't know all right maybe this is a good time to get to wrap things <laughs> up then i would say scott do you have anything else you want to go over considering the fact that he's frozen i'm going to say I think he's probably good i don't know he's still he's either pondering or frozen <laughs> there you go all right scott say what you want to say Anything left? Anything left, Scotty? Uh, no, I, I didn't have anything. <laughs> so all right, all right. He's, he's just waving at us like no. the inflatable. My, I'm getting a new computer God. next week. Yay! Hopefully, hopefully we're not gonna have to deal with this much longer. Yes, hopefully. All right, Bridget. Well, hand on the dial. Uh, Bruins play game four Sunday at three thirty. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.